Friday edition of Smith & Jones right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you as we get you set for a bit, very busy weekend in sports, uh, not just with, you know, what a lot of your focus is, what a lot of our focus is. The Toronto Raptors getting set for a tilt tonight against the Washington Wizards, then back home for the first time in five games on Sunday when the Raptors play host to the Portland Trail Blazers. But, of course, I know you're watching the puck. You're watching a lot of other things in the sports world, but the National Football League postseason coming upon us this weekend. So lots to dive into on today's show. But we will start. It is game day for the Toronto Raptors. Again, in D.C., getting set for the Wiz. Washington sitting just ahead of the Raptors at 23 and 22. The Raptors at 21 and 21. 500 rolling into tonight's game. And I guess right now, one of the things, Jonesy, that we've been discussing quite a bit about the Raptors this week, and we'll see how it plays out tonight, is the health. I'm about 99% sure, if not 100% sure, that uh, Kem Birch is not going to be in the lineup as he continues to try to recover and come back uh, from his um, surgery on his nose. But the one that we're all focusing in on, or at least many of us are focusing in on, is what about Gary Trent? Because there was some rumblings and speculation that he might be back by now, and unfortunately he's not yet been able to suit up. And could he return tonight, or do you think that the Raptors maybe... I mean, he's already on the road, so if he's there and he's able to play, then why not suit up? But at the same time, maybe there's a case to be made for one more day of rest another day of practice tomorrow, and come back against your former team on Sunday. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I mean, they always say that you bring a guy back on the road in that instance. Um, I think it's how his body reacts after going through the rigors of, of practice. And I, I say that with, with quotes, uh, rigors, because they don't practice anymore, and they don't as much as they used to, and it's not uh, – you don't go – in terms of load management, you don't go full out. So, yeah, this it, it, let's let's see how he reacts. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And I think you'd like to get him a game, get him back in as soon as possible. You know, if you can get him back in tonight against Washington, even for a few minutes, because let's face it, we all know that that first game back, uh, you can ride the bike, you can play three-on-three, you can do all this stuff, but there's nothing like game action. And everybody comes back, and they come up a little short in their first game back. You, you, I mean, last time this happened and Gary Trent Jr. came back, what was he, like three for 14 or something in, in mm-hmm. his first game back? It happens. It happens. So I'm of the mindset, hey, man, if you can go, let's get back in there. Let's work the rust off. And let's do what we can to get you back up to speed because we need you. You're one of the important players on this team. And they need him, no doubt about it. They need him for another reason than to just have another weapon at this point. And one of the points that we were kind of hammering home yesterday uh, is is the depth right now or lack thereof um, and, and just not using a whole lot of the second unit. So suddenly now if you bring back a piece like a Gary Trent, because this might actually go to what his dad, Gary Trent Sr., said to us earlier in the week. And, and he's right, Jonesy, and it's probably something obvious that – that most fans know, but generally speaking, generally speaking, most coaches go with an eight, nine man rotation. And even if you end up seeing 10, 11 guys play, those guys that are playing 10, 11 might be what? Six, eight minutes at most. They're they're just spelling off a little bit of time, but your core guys, you're basically going eight, nine. Am I wrong in saying that? 
Like, if, if you're going 10-11 deep, you're not going 10-11 deep with guys playing 15, 18, 20 minutes every single one of them. There's going to no, be a couple no, of guys right. that are just a handful of minutes. So right now, as much as we have talked about it, as much as many in the fan base may be discussing, oh, the depth, the depth, the depth, and not using the bench and not going to certain guys, it's really only right now you're kind of one shy of what, or maybe two, of what you'd be doing anyways. So you suddenly bring Gary Trent back, and all right, some something's going to change with your starters, I would assume. I assume that Gary Trent's not coming off the bench. So suddenly now you've got another piece available to you, probably Precious. Now you've got Precious Achua, Chris Boucher, Justin Champagne. It's not bad. You may or may not not. at some point start sprinkling Banton or Flynn back into the mix to try and find some sort of depth at the point, some sort of help for Freddie. But for the most part, if you stick with that eight with your starters and then have Boucher, Achua, and Champagne, and then all of a sudden Birch comes back maybe next week too. All right, now you add Birch to the mix. Well, you're whole again. But I don't know that it's as bad perhaps as many people are perceiving it or, or claiming it to be right now. No, and, and it's – look, with, without disrespecting anybody, uh, Gary Trent's one of your top players. It's, it's the quality, right? It's uh, – yeah, we're getting good looks at the three, but let's face it, there are some guys that are better three-point shooter than others. So – if, if Gary Trent, you're more comfortable with Gary Trent shooting that three than you are, you know, Eric Smith for crying out loud. I mean, there's a, there's a quality of shooter there and a quality of player that, uh, you know, while while people are, you know, looking at Nick for his short rotation, you're right. He's got quality people missing, and that, uh, you know, that's that's the that's the gist of it. That's the that's the main part. Yeah, the bench is short, but uh, the bench is short because you've had to use some of your guys from the bench to move into the starting lineup. And, you know, injuries are, they're not an excuse. They're a fact. They're part of it. A guy can't go. He can't go. It, it, it weakens your lineup, forces other people who may not be as good to play more minutes. And, you know, the longer you go with, with uh, a weaker player or a weaker lineup, you can you can hold water in your hands for a while, but then leaks start to develop, and those guys get exposed when you play them longer. So Nick's going with his best, and I don't I don't blame him. He's trying to win games. Yeah, trying to win games. Minutes police. When... <laughs> minutes <laughs> police ahead. be damned, right? Minutes police be damned. Everybody's looking at minutes. You ask Fred if he wants to come out of the game. I know he's leading the NBA. You ask him if he wants to come out of the game. The answer is going to be no. It will be, I'm tired, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like a break, but I don't want to stop playing, <laughs> right? Like, you know, that's it's like the, the kid that's cold but doesn't want to come in from outside because he wants to stay outside and play. But I'm cold. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll warm up later. That's, that's how it is. No player wants to come out of the game. Well, and Jonesy, I, I completely agree with you. Listen, uh, I mean, it's it's not fair to use the weekend warrior example because, you know, it's clearly at a completely, completely different level. But you just talked about, you know, kids playing outside. The weekend warrior on the on the courts or on the field or whatever, insert sport here. Whether you're 45 or 14, you want to come off the court? You want to come off the field? You want to keep playing? I mean, Jones, you played at a far higher level than me or a lot of people listening right now. How hard is it to crank it up Let's say let's say you've got it's pretty rare to have five games in a seven day span. 
it happens, but it's pretty rare. Four games in seven days with a ton of rest in between where even if you even if you did practice every single day, which is not happening, if you practice every single day for 90 minutes to two hours, and I'm talking actual on-court practice, is it really that difficult to ask a professional athlete to have enough in the tank for two and a half hours, four nights a week? Then let's take a step back and go, okay, hold on a second. Eric, they're not actually going to practice every day. And even if they were to practice every day, those guys that are logging heavy minutes, they're probably only getting up shots. They're not actually running up and down the floor a whole ton and practicing at 100%. In fact, many of those days might be maintenance days where they're in the cold tub or the hot tub or the cryogenic chambers or they're getting worked on by massage therapists and acupuncturists and everything else because it's maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. So then when you scale all that back and peel all that back, is it that difficult to ask a... 24, 28, 32, even 34-year-old dude to go out and give you two and a half hours of hard, hard minutes four nights a week. The other 21 and a half hours of that day, they can rest. The other three days of that week, they can rest. But four days a week, I need you balls to the wall for two and a half hours. Is it that difficult? Not saying no, it's not easy, really. but is it that difficult? No, no, no. I mean, it's 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 tough. Um, they're tired, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they they want to play. It's 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 what they it's what they do. It's what I'm. They sho- do. I'm tired yeah. from shoveling snow three days ago. Of course, they're tired, right? But it's is it yeah. that hard to crank it up? No, they 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 look. You know where you see it. You know where people talk about. Oh, they're they're fatigued. I think you see it at the beginning. And the and and possibly at the end of games, you see it at the beginning because they're not totally cranked up, and it takes them a while to like the old machine. It takes a while to warm it up and get it going. The old car, and once it's running, it's fine. And 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 I think you may see some of that, um, you know, fatigue crawl in at times if it does at the end of the game. But there are a lot of guys that. As difficult as it is at the start to get cranked up, and they may have a slow start to the game, and the team starts off where they're down 8, 10, 12 points, and then they, they, they kind of get the wake-up call and say, hey, all right, let's get going here. I think that's where you see it. And then at the end of the game, once they're moving and going, th- th- that fatigue is not, is not really a factor. So I, I'm not saying it's not a factor, but I think at times, at times it's an easy excuse and it's overplayed. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 maybe a good way of putting it. That's 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 fair. That's at least absolutely fair to look at. Uh, we'll see how things are distributed tonight uh, by Nick Nurse again as the Raptors get set for the Washington Wizards. Um, certainly an important game as the Raptors hope to come home still above 500. They're sitting at 500 right now. The Wizards just above a game above. And I look at this team. And they're, they're still one that I'm keeping my eye on. I don't think they're championship caliber by any means, but I think they are absolutely a playoff team and a team that could, um, you know, strike the fear into a certain opponent. I think they could be dangerous with some of the weapons they have. And, and you know, we've belabored this point a lot this season because it's been a talking point time and time and time again, Jonesy. But when you look at what the Wizards have and what the Lakers gave up in the Russell Westbrook deal, and thus the pieces that the Wiz now have in place, man, this looks like such a great trade for the Wizards because they got 
not just a bunch of pieces to complement Bradley Beal and others, but solid, quality pieces, multiple starters, and dudes that are playing a significant role for Washington now. It was a great trade by Tommy Shepard. It was. Um, I, I, I thought, I thought um, you know, it was about, for him in Washington, it was about getting the pieces that fit around Bradley Beal. And, you know, the Westbrook Beal thing didn't really work. I mean, it was your turn, my turn. And that's the kind of... Uh, Russell Westbrook has always had the ball in his hands. And, like, there was a big deal made out of him being put on the bench a couple nights ago in L.A. Yeah, it, it was, because um, they're saying, Russ, um, in order for us to be successful right now, uh, we're, we're going to have to make this change. And people should have seen that coming. Like, it, I, I, I wish I knew the Latin. It's on a piece of paper. Before my dad passed away, I made him write down two, three, four summers ago all his Latin phrases on one side and all the English on the other. I don't remember the Latin side, but the English side is people that are square don't die round. And Russell Westbrook has the ball in his hands, and that's how he plays. And so it's going to be tough for him to play with LeBron if they're on the floor at the same time. If Westbrook is the guy running the second unit and LeBron's not on the floor, then you're good to go. The style changes a bit. So uh, Russ would be probably better served at this point in his career adopting the Carmelo Anthony mentality, which it took him a while to do, but he's okay being a role player, a, a good role player, an excellent role player in maybe the second unit or in a hybrid starting unit. Um, so I, I, I thought Tommy Shepard did a great job. Uh, he got real nice pieces around Bradley Beal that fit. Uh, guys that can shoot, guys that can defend, guys that play with energy. Um, and yet a guy like Kyle Kuzma, who's still in, I would say, the developmental phase of his career. He's, he's still getting better. He's been in the league a short time, but he still has much room to get better. I think it was a great trade for Washington. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at the impact that, that guys that are, uh, you know, from that deal that are having on that team. And... You know, there aren't a ton of teams in the league. The Raptors would be right up there. But you're talking about a Wizards team that has five guys averaging double figures, 11 or more, in Beal Kuzma, Harrell, Dinwiddie, and Caldwell Pope, and Daniel Gafford right on the heels at 9.3. they got a lot of different weapons, a lot of different guys that can score for that team. They've got rebounding. They've got defense. They've got shooting. Like, I'll tell you, Montrez Harrell, I scratch my head as to what the Clippers were thinking. Like, I... I, I don't get it. I mean, I take that dude. Like, that's a guy to me, I don't know if it's fair to put him in this category or fair to the person I'm going to compare him to, but you always talk about, we've always talked about, you know, over the years, not having, um, you know, all choir boys. You need a few dudes with some sandpaper. He's Oakley-esque to me, a guy that plays with a chip, but he can score as well, but he will rebound and he will defend and he will bark at you. Even if you're on his team, he'll get up in your nose, certainly if you're the opponent. He's, he's just got that, that air, that attitude about him. That's the kind of guy I want on my team. I want at least one of those dudes on my team. Yeah, it takes all kinds. It, it does. And I, <laughs> I learned this in a, in, a, in a leadership framework when you know, you're, in, you're in charge of stuff and people and 
trying to make an entity, um, you know, an organization successful. Sometimes it, it takes all kinds. Uh, you know, it, uh, I always, I, I compare to my past life and I love those kids that sat at the front of the class and listened attentively and hung on every word and, you know, nodded, yes, Mr. Jones, yes, Mr. Jones. But you know what? You know who made me a teacher? That kid in the back row that I had to get to buy in, that I had to get to, to, to listen, that sat in the back and tipped his chair and, uh, you know, leaned back in his chair. And I wasn't sure if he or she was always listening or always tuned in. And like when I engaged that kid, now, now I'm doing some work and it takes all kinds. And that's what made, you know, the class dynamics great and made the whole thing, you know, successful. Uh, same with your, your staff in, in education. You got some people that are like, whoa, boy, he's a little different or she's a little different, but uh, they bring something to the table. They make you better. They make the organization better. Uh, those, um, those, those uh, polite dissenters that make you think. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the same with a basketball team. You need all kinds. You you do. There's nothing wrong. I, I'd love to have a guy like Montrez Harrell on my team, just the same way as you said, kind of Charles Oakley. But you got to work with them, you know, and, and you come to an agreement. And that's where the coaching comes in, being a leader of people. Uh, okay, you need me. I need you. We want to make this thing successful. Um, l let's get after it. Respect each other. And we're going to disagree on stuff at times recognize that I have the final decision and and we'll be good so uh, I I love what I really love what 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 Tommy Shepard is has done in Washington and uh, they've been through so much there recently uh, it's nice to see them doing well well a few of these topics we will discuss at the bottom of the hour as well when we are joined by 14-year NBA vet and now Wizards analyst Drew Gooden is uh, going to join us. So in about 10 minutes' time or so, we'll hook up with Drew and uh, ask him a lot of these similar questions about the Wizards and their roster construction, the season they've had again as the uh, Wizards hit a game above 500, entering action tonight uh, against the Raptors, Toronto's fifth and final game on the road before they head home uh, to host the Portland Trail Blazers on Sunday. Make note of the start time tonight, the tip time in Washington, 8 o'clock Eastern. Uh, the start time for that game. Looking back quickly to last night, uh, Jonas Valanciunas has a strong effort against the New York Knicks as the Pelicans beat the Knicks 102-91. Phoenix continues to roll as they beat the Red Hot Mavericks that had just beaten the Raptors a couple of nights ago as the Suns uh, win that ball game uh, behind a solid effort from Chris Paul and Devin Booker. 109-101 the final. The Suns now sitting, or still sitting, I should say, not now sitting, still sitting atop the Western Conference, atop the NBA at 35-9, and nine, they have won five in a row, and the Golden State Warriors lose again, wow. stunned by the Indiana Pacers in overtime. Indy's now won two in a row, still 17-29 and 29 and 13th in the East, but they beat the Warriors in overtime, surviving 39 from Steph, and Golden State now just 4-6 and six in their last 10. They're trying to figure it out ever since Clay came back and obviously trying to go at it without Draymond Green, too. Yeah, an adjustment for Golden State and an impressive win for Indiana, considering there was uh, no Karis LeVert, no Sabonis, no Miles Turner, no Malcolm Brogdon. The second night of the back-to-back, -back, like after winning, you know, an un unlikely game the night before, uh, like that that that's a that's a good win for the Pacers. It it really really is, and uh, uh, you know, give give Rick Carlisle and some of those guys. 
uh, I thought uh, Duarte was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they, that's that's a good that's a good win for the Pacers. Eric, we were we were talking about uh, injuries and w- with the Raptors and you know the Pacers here and you know putting pieces together. Um, I know we've got the clip uh, for our, our listeners to hear if they haven't. Uh, the whole Penny Hardaway situation that speaks to people people sometimes not seeing injuries, doesn't it? And and yeah. not and and yeah. putting some heat on the coach when when it's uh, he's working with whatever he has. And I I sensed that from Nick Nurse the other night too when Nick said, "I don't know why there's all this negativity." And it, uh, to me, that was Nick kind of taking a little solace and a moral victory in the fact that. They played four, as he said, four of five teams that have aspirations of going deep into the playoffs, if not raising a banner next September. And they were right with him. What do we figure out? The average margin of defeat was two possessions, four, five Five. points. Yeah, five five points. points. I think you said it was 20 total points. Yep. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, so there, uh, I think coaches have to do a good job of managing that. And, and again, it, it, it comes back to the expectations. So let me paint the picture for folks right now. Jonesy just hinted at it. We did want to get to this, so we'll do it right now. We'll shift our attention from the NBA for a second. Again, we'll hook up with Drew Gooden in, in I don't know, seven or ten minutes' time or so, and we'll talk more about the Raptors and Wizards tonight. But shifting our attention to the NCAA. And, and, and it's not necessarily, with due respect, about Memphis specifically. I just thought that hearing the comments, this is something I wanted to, we wanted to play for you. Um, because I think it's a good talking point, Jonesy, just about, I don't know, sports in general, whether it be collegiate athletes, professional athletes, and maybe even life in general, because we spent a great deal of our conversation yesterday with Kevin Weeks talking about the relationship as well with athlete and media, coach and media and whatnot. So here's here's the, the, the overall picture to paint for you. Memphis, the Memphis Tigers, so they open up this season ranked just outside of the top 10, 12th in the Associated Press poll. So they were highly ranked. And certainly had, as you just talked about with NBA teams, had aspirations of going on a run this year. They were legitimately uh, and had every reason to think they could be a championship contending team this year, a team that might make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. So they open at number 12 in the AP poll, but now they drop to just 9-8 and eight overall. Their record, 9-8, and eight, and they're 3-4 and four in their conference. They've lost 8 of their last 12. They started the season with five straight wins. Everybody's saying, yep, here they are. This team that we think is going on a hot run, they're going to go. Could be championship run here come March Madness. And now they've lost eight of their last 12. They landed two top recruits, two of the top recruits in the entire nation in the offseason. They had three starters returning. But then a couple of dudes struggle. COVID issues hit. Injuries hit. Everything spiraling out of control for the Memphis Tigers. And now... Of course, everybody's going, what's wrong? What's happening? Well, are they looking, Jonesy, at the factors that I just laid out? COVID, yeah. injuries, et cetera, a whole bunch of things. And so Hardaway was asked, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here and reading a portion of the story because I didn't hear word for word the question. But Hardaway was asked by a reporter if he had lost faith that he could get the job done at Memphis and also whether he was embarrassed by his team's performance of late. Here is Coach Penny Hardaway's answer. I think the one thing I can say to this media, because this media gets kind of up sometimes when it comes to me, 
We don't have our full roster. Y'all know we don't have our full roster. Stop asking me stupid questions about if I feel like I can do something. If I had my roster like they did, then I feel like I can do whatever I want to do. I'm coaching really hard. My boys are playing really hard. I'm not embarrassed about nothing. We have four freshmen starting. Y'all need to act like it. Act like we got 17, 18, and 19-year-olds out here trying to learn how to play against 22, 23, and 24-year-old guys. Come on, man. Stop disrespecting me, bro. Like, don't do that. I work too hard. I work way too hard for that. Y'all write all these articles about me, and all I do is work. We got young kids on the floor. They got young kids on the floor. It's pretty impassioned, and uh, it's 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 yeah. it's hard to argue. I think to some extent with where he's coming from, and I listen the frustration that's boiling over. The the the, the tough thing I have with this, and and listen, I'm I'm not going to say Jonesy that I've been perfect, and, and nor have you over the course of your career asking questions, or maybe I've been guilty of asking something dumb or something obvious or whatever else. But when stuff like that comes up, if you'd be asking a head coach, are you embarrassed? Like, what kind of response do you think you're going to get if you're asking a question like that? And are you telling me that you're trying to imply that he doesn't want to win, that he's not working hard, that he's not trying to figure out a way to dig out of this hole having lost 8 out of 12, and that he doesn't want to make a run in the tournament come March, and that he doesn't want more for his players? Like, that's basically the implication when you ask a question like that. So what sort of response do you think you're going to get? Well, and, and I, I was going where you were, Eric. It's all in the way that you frame the question. Um, and, and the relationship you have, like, are, do you want that kind of answer? Well, then ask that, ask the question in that way. I mean, we are fortunate to be around some really, uh, really talented people in our business. The, the, I think of the writers, uh, you know, especially in our market in Toronto and they, that just, uh, it's interesting that we never see any of those, right? We never see that one. I think because of the relationship and the way the questions are asked. And two, uh, you know, I, I look at what we've had in the last little while. Dwayne Casey, Nick Nurse, classy people that understand and, and you know, they, they measure their responses. And if there's an issue, they take whoever it is aside and, and maybe talk about it or, or do it in a, in a more collegial, congenial way. Like, you're right. What kind, what kind of... If you ask, use that word embarrassed, th- what kind of an answer do you think you're going to get? And, 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 you know, to the other, the other part of that is, I mean, I, I just look at Nick the other night, the way he turned it around. Like, I, I'm sensing some negativity here. Folks, there's no reason to be negative. Here, here's what it is, and here's what we're doing. And under the circumstances, I think, you know, always look for the positive. You know, look, I, I'm encouraged by this. I know we've lost four or five, four or five of these close games, but but man, we're right there, and it's not like we're getting blown out. The guys are still playing hard. Like all of those things that Penny Hardaway said, you could, I mean, basically, he and Nick had the same thing two, three days apart, and it's the relationship, the person, the way you answer, and I I, I think probably Penny's been burned a few times or felt like he's been torched a few times or been unfairly dealt with in terms of the media from his pro career maybe from his coaching career and he's lashing back it's not it's it's not a good situation on either side hey jonesy the listeners might even get a get a a sense of this because i've been around a long time yapping what's i gotta put you on the spot here You, you i think you might get the answer but but maybe you won't in fact i'm doing it right now 
what's one of my like either uh, trademarks or faults or what's what's oh, oh I know where you're going I know oh. I know exactly where you're going when you hate being called unless it's by Alfred Smith or 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 Mama Smith you hate being called son is that the one Damn you're right going I to? do that wasn't what I was going to do but and, that's it but it it kind of ties into what I was going to say go ahead that's the one and and a prominent uh, soon-to-be Hall of Fame coach called my broadcast partner's son one day, and you just about lost it. You I gave him the what for. It. It's I, the only time I think I've ever talked back to a player or and, a coach. And, 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 and you know what? I would have done it, too. I don't think I would have done it like you. I said, Coach, <laughs> uh, that really offends me, um, you know, when you call me that by that name, and then especially me being of, of African descent, like, hey, man, like, don't, I'm not your son. Like, don't. Uh, but I, I wouldn't have said it like that. But um, I, I know you. I know you uh, took umbrage and had an issue with it. Yes, I did. Did I miss I did. it though? I mi- uh, you said you, you I had the wrong it. answer though. You missed it. That, but it, it kind of ties in. But do I get part saying. marks? Do I get? Uh, do I get part marks for explaining my answer and being? You close get bonus marks. You get question? bonus marks because it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't the answer okay. I was looking for. So you technically got it wrong, but you get bonus marks for for maybe uh, bringing something up that I didn't even think of. So as the teacher, I'm like, hmm. You know, Paul Jones, you know, that, that it wasn't what I was looking for, but that, you know what, that that applies, so I'll give him bonus marks. So I guess in the end you end Sur- up getting it right. So Successful surgery, but the patient died. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> what I was going to say was, tying into what you were talking about, I, it's like you were listening in on the Smith household conversations that I have with my own son. I say this all the time, much to my wife's chagrin sometimes, because I believe I'm honest to a fault. I think you can and should say absolutely anything to anyone. Speak in truth. However, it's how you say it. And what I was going to say to you is I I am the king of the preface. And part of the reason I preface a lot of things is because I know I'm couching or framing what I'm about to say because it might either be a hard sell or a soft sell. Or I might be trying to, you know, kind of come into this t- topic or situation sideways or, or you know, just kind of eking my, my foot in the door a little bit because I want you to know that I see your side or I want you to know what I'm about to say might not be the coolest thing in the world or it might be not be something you want to hear, but mm, it's something that needs to be said. So I was that's where I was going with being the king of the preface because, again, it, it doesn't always have to come in a preface. It can just become in a, in a direct way, and it's your tone. It's your delivery. It's your body language. It's your eye contact. It's the look in your eye, whether you're looking angry or compassionate or understanding, whatever. It's the delivery. It's how you say it. But I've said to my kid from as, as, as young as he was old enough to, to, to understand what I was saying, you can and should be able to say anything to anyone. It's how you say it. That's the key. Agreed. Agreed. The delivery, and I've uh, I've learned that uh, yeah, sometimes the hard way. But yeah, I I, I I totally agree. Yeah, and don't call me son. And I don't even care to say it because I've said it before in the air. It was Rick Patino. I got no time for Rick Patino. <laughs> All right. When we continue on Smith and Jones, <laughs> we will shift our attention back to the Wizards and the Raptors as former NBAer. Drew Gooden, Wizards analyst now, will join us on Smith & Jones right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. 
Back on Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. The Raptors tonight getting set for the Washington Wizards, 8 o'clock Eastern. The tip-off as the Wiz come into the ballgame, a game above 500. The Raptors sitting at 500. Two teams that know each other quite well going toe-to-toe again tonight. An important game for both teams and to discuss this one. Uh, Wizards television analyst and 14-year NBA vet as well, Drew Gooden joining us today. Drew, thanks for the time. No problem. Hey, by the way, I love the not only the introduction, but the intro music. I'm from California, and I hear the background. There you go. Background. <laughs> hey, it's, come on. It's, listen, Drew, I, come I, on. I, I could lie to you, Drew. I, I could lie and say it was just for you. It's our intro music every day. It just gets us moving, you know, doing a little chair dancing every day as we come into each segment. <laughs> oh, you could have lied to me. You could have lied to me. <laughs> no, well, I, I would have lied, Drew. I, I, a couple things. Is is the AAU team the the your your strong your juggernaut of an AAU team still still going to Oakland Soldiers? Are they still putting heads to bed or what? Yeah, we're still kicking. Believe it or not, uh, after okay. thirty years, uh, the program is still uh, up and at it. So I'm proud of uh, everybody so involved, and um, we yeah, have a pretty great. tight alumni out there in the NBA. All right, hey, Drew. All right. You know, well, we're going to get the I, list I, from you at some point. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. I, you know, listen, it's I, a long list because it, we we could be here for thirty minutes. Because the older I get, the longer it takes for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, Drew. Obviously, we want to talk Wizards and Raptors, but seeing as Jonesy brings up the AAU team, I I, I want to continue our conversation that we had just before bringing you on. Uh, just kind of looking big picture for a second. I'm sure you saw on ESPN or otherwise or saw or heard about uh, Penny Hardaway being asked about his, his Memphis Tigers last night and, and um, you know, whether he was embarrassed by their performance of late. And he kind of went off on, on the media saying, like, hey, we got guys in COVID protocols. We've got guys injured. We got young kids that we're trying to groom. Like, you need to give us time and, and don't disrespect me and the job and the effort that we're putting in. Again, just kind of a general question to you, Drew, looking big picture. How much do you think, whether it's media, whether it's fans, whether it's 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 um, you know athletic directors, whomever, the pressure that's on kids, whether it be at prep schools, at universities and colleges and programs like that, the pressure to win right away and not realizing these kids are kids and it is going to take some time and we get caught up in the business and forget about the life and the personalities and just the sport even as well because we're just watching the dollar signs. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been like that historically for years. And I think it's even uh, a multiplier on that now when you add the social media aspect to it and that component. So, uh, yeah, kids are just kids, but uh, they're they're a brand now. And uh, they have a following. And uh, I know there's a couple kids, uh, Imani Bates in particular down there in Memphis, who struggled uh, this season? Seventeen years old. That re- I think he reclassified. Was able to to forego uh, his senior year, I believe, to go to Memphis early. I mean, it's a seventeen-year-old kid that they expect to to be playing like the number one pick right away, and it's not just happening. And they're uh, they're taking it to social media, and they're taking it um, to the local media there, and it's just getting out. And I and I know it's uh, it's a struggle, but we got to forget. Yes, these are just kids but they're in a multi-billion dollar industry um where the ncaa and other outlets are making money drew uh, we saw penny's response you you have the unique 
uh, perspective of having been on both sides. I'm sure the media has rubbed you the wrong way at times. And now you sit, um, you know, with a headset on and and you can relate to what's going on. What what's the goal for you when you get one of those questions that's really um, posed to kind of invoke a response? Oh, are you embarrassed or something that has that that really kind of puts you on puts you on your heels like that when they, they come at you with their certain you know, touch words like, are you embarrassed or are you ashamed or is there blame or there, there are some hard words that come at you. What, what, what advice do you have for, you know, uh, if you could have talked to Penny as his, as his media relations guy or, or other players when they get that stuff coming at them? Because I'm sure you handle some of those in your time. Yeah, well, I mean, the game of basketball, it's emotional. And um, sometimes... Uh, when you come out of battle and you have to answer the questions to the media, some of those questions might, uh, might poke at the beer in the wrong, in the wrong area, I would say. And, uh, you might get a, a emotional response at the time because we play emotional game, but, uh, within the lines of that, you have to keep your composure. And, and Penny knows this. I mean, he's played in college at that university. Uh, he's played in the NBA for a ton of years. Um, uh, He's battled the scrutiny of a, being a superstar uh, athlete that dealt with injuries that, uh, you know, kind of had an injury play career through, throughout later on in his career and then uh, had, finished out having a solid career, but not the career Anthony Hardaway was supposed to have, I believe. So he has experience on how to deal, how to handle uh, the media, especially coming out of your know, emotional game and, and, and so forth. But, I mean, it's frustrating. I, I know he's frustrated. I know uh, so his, his team might be frustrated. The city might be frustrated. But, hey, listen, the game of basketball is supposed to be fun. Sometimes the media can make it not not as fun as it's supposed to be. And, uh, you know, as a true professionals, players and coaches involved, uh, you just got to be as professional as possible answering the questions and don't let it be a detriment to your team going forward. Speaking with Drew Gooden, Wizards analyst, NBA veteran, as the Raptors get set for the Wizards tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern, the tip-off. Let's shift our attention to that uh, game specifically for tonight and, and maybe piggyback on what you were just saying, Drew. Fun. I think this is a fun team to watch, and I'm speaking about the Wizards. We were talking earlier in the show uh, about the fleecing of the Los Angeles Lakers. With due respect to Russell Westbrook, hell of a talent, but the package that they got back for Russ and drew the pieces, the amount of pieces that are quality key pieces that are playing significant roles on this team now, they're a fun club to watch. And to me, a team that I don't know if they've got, I mean, listen, they've got championship aspirations. I don't know if they are championship ready yet, but they're ready to make some noise, and I think a dangerous team come playoff team that a lot of clubs are not going to want to see. Yeah, well, when you look on paper, you see the death. And when the Wizards made the trade um, to get Russell Westbrook to the Lakers and, and got the assets back, the pieces back, and Kyle Kuzma, Montrez, Harrell, and also Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope, uh, that, that kind of alleviated the pressure for Tommy Shepard, the president of basketball operations here in uh, Washington, to have to go out and get free agents. It's such a, a hard task to bring free agents here into this market. For some odd reason, I don't know. Washington, D.C. is a beautiful city, great history, uh, great place to live. 
Uh, I'm not just trying to sell the city. I, I truly believe that. Um, but it's just been hard to get free agents in the summertime uh, to come here to sign. So I think Tommy Shepard was able to, uh, I don't want to say kill two birds with one stone. You know, never know who's listening now. But uh, he was able to do that. You know, he was able to. He was able to be able to. I would say trade Russell Westbrook and get pieces to add depth because there were so many gaping holes defensively and offensively that the Wizards needed to fill this past season. And being able to get those three quality guys in that trade from LA, I mean, that was. I mean, it just it went. It took the team from looking like they had six guys out there ready to play to almost 10, you know what I mean? So it was, uh, it's a great problem to have when you have that much depth and that many solid guys that you could throw in and that many bodies you could throw in at times. What kind of a difference, Drew, has it made to Bradley Beal? There was always always chatter about, oh, is is he going to leave? Is he going to want to, like, is he going to stay? Uh... How, how much of a difference has it made for him, and how much has it rejuvenated him? You know what? Uh, this is a, has been a surprise season uh, early on. You know, I think as fans, as as players, uh, as spectators, whatever you want to call it, uh, on paper the team looked good, but in reality, you're going to need time for this team to grow. They started off ten and three, number one team in the East, the first thirteen games got a taste of early success without having the chemistry or the bond yet. And um, then had a, a couple of a rough patch in December with a lot of road games and a lot of tough losses. And they kind of balance out their records almost like 500 right now. Um, I think with Brad, it's such an emotional roller coaster ride for him because you got to think, just rewind the clock to about, let's talk about the John Wall era here. John Wall was the face of the franchise. Bradley Bill was the Robin to Batman to John Wall. And Brad was able to succeed in that role, was was able to be an all-star in that role, and flourish, I believe, in that role. Um, When John Wall got injured, the keys to the city and the franchise were handed over to, to Bradley Bill by default. And to our surprise, Bradley Bill led the Washington Wizards the two seasons back to back where he scored or excuse me, averaged thirty plus points per contest, was a starter in the NBA All Star game, went on to go play on the USA uh Olympic uh Olympic Games this summer. Uh unfortunately that was halted due to COVID, but he's been having success being the franchise guy. Now going forward, I mean there's a the pressure is on with Brad because he's gonna be due for a super max contract here. Uh, this summer. He wants to win. He wants to be in this city. He wants to be the guy. But, tell you what, for for a guy being with an organization for 10 years, which is so rare now, you don't see that too often, he, he has a decision to make, and this, or, this franchise has a decision to make going forward. If Brad commits to that extension, and signs that, that max deal this offseason, is he going to be committed full-time going forward? Are we going to be sitting here again talking about him wanting to be traded, or is he going to be traded? I think that is the biggest question right now that 
needs to be answered. How bad does Brad want to be here still in D.C.? Because he wants to win. What does your gut tell you, Drew? You know what? I think it's 50-50. I think whatever decision Brad makes, whether it's here or anywhere else, He's going to continue to get better. He's going to continue to grow. He's going to make more all-star games, and he's going to have opportunities to win. Um, and I'm going to be happy with his decision either or. Hmm. Hey, hey, Drew, I, I want to go back to um, kind of where we started with this, um, a kind of outside forces uh, in the game of basketball. We are talking about the media. What do you make of the play where David Vanterpool stuck stuck his hand out and, and <laughs> deflected that pass going from the top of the pocket into the corner to a guy who was locked and loaded, like wide open, ready to let it fly? I tell you what, never in 20 years of me being at this level of watching and playing basketball that I thought that, <laughs> that a coach would get a defensive play of the game. Um, I, I tell you what, that was that play was so critical because if you if you look back at if you look at the time and score situation, it was tight game right there at that point. And if Kyle Kuzma catches that ball in that corner, he had a chance to rip through, attack the basket, and I, I believe it was a smaller defender at the rim that I think Kyle Kuzma would be able to just dunk right over him. So if he catches that ball, I mean, that's a possible two-point put, a two-point play that's taken away. And it was such a crucial point of the game. And when it happened in real time, we didn't know what, what happened. We saw Kyle Kuzma going ballistic. Uh, 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 Montrez was saying something. And uh, we just didn't know. And then when we went back to look at the replay, I was appalled. I was like, you know, that was a coach that actually stuck his hand out. He wasn't pointing at anybody. He literally tried to steal the ball. And it was a hell of a play. Like I said, for, to not get a technical foul, and not, I don't know if he's been fired. I don't know what the twenty-five grand were. Oh, wow. Well, you know what? Assistant coaches don't make as much as the head coach. So that twenty-five, <laughs> uh, throw a multiplier on that $25,000. But I'll tell you what, it was a hell of a defensive play. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and it, it, it might have been it worth a, it in the end to, to get the W. It was a defensive play. <laughs> yeah, but it was, you know, it was crucial. And I was like, you can't, you can't have that. You know, I, I, we've seen stuff like uh, coaches spilling um, water on the court because you, you ran out of timeouts. And that's a way to kind of um, get a timeout, I would say, um, without having one. You know, you see little things like that in the game or uh, – assistant coaches kind of standing up in the corner trying to wave their hands like, hey, who has this guy over there? But they're actually playing some, you know, some type of defense or shadow defense in the corner trying to get in the guy's peripheral to make a miss. You see those type of things. But, you know, never, you never see a, a coach actively stick his hand out in the game and still a pass, you know. And it was a, it was a crucial part of the game. It was funny, just on a, on, a, on, a, on a much, much, much smaller note, because to your point, Drew, it wasn't a crucial part of the game, but we saw it a, a couple of games ago with the Raptors and Heat. Eric Spolstra, who, I mean, he walks out onto the court regularly before he even calls a timeout. Boom, he's at center court, it seems. But he, he literally walked on the court about, what, Jonesy, like three, four feet 
and grabbed Tyler Hero and pushed him to the side like, this is where I want you to be. He literally was physically shoving him into position, and then Hero, like a second later, catches the pass, and the Heat are running the play. You're like, what the hell's happened here? The coach is on the court in a minute. Like It's like bitty ball right now trying to position a kid in place. I didn't know what the heck I was watching, but that pales in comparison, as you say, to, to what Vanderpool did. Uh, listen, we're plumb again, out of time right now, uh, Drew. We're up against the clock. We appreciate this. Uh, have a great broadcast tonight, and we'll look forward to chatting with you again down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me anytime, guys. All right, Drew. Drew Gooden, 14-year NBA vet, Wizards analyst, as the Raptors get set for Washington tonight in D.C., 8 o'clock Eastern, the tip-off. Toronto looking to jump back above 500 before they come home for their tilt against the Blazers on the weekend. That game going in Toronto on Sunday. Folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well.